you find your way to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 today. If you're new to Abilene, uh, this is your very first time or you've been gone all summer, welcome back. Uh, we've been in a series of studies over the last several weeks looking and learning what the Bible has to teach about angels and demons. And if you've been here over the last several weeks, uh, you will remember we started off by talking and learning about the presence of angels. They are real. They, they exist. Uh, then we learned about the personality of angels. Last week we looked at the protection of angels, what, what some folks would refer to as your guardian or your personal angel. This week as we conclude, what I want us to do is, is I want us to kind of make a shift, if you will. I want us to turn our attention and uh, I want us to think for a few minutes this morning about the perverted angel. And of course, when I, when I talk about the perverted angel, you know who I'm talking about. I'm, I'm talking about Lucifer, Satan, that anointed cherub who rebelled against God, was booted out of heaven and became the dirty old devil. Ephesians chapter 6 this morning. And as you are trying to find your way there, can, let me just make a statement here real quickly. And here's the statement that I need you to understand that if you've heard me preach very much at all, you know that my M.O., the way that I love to preach is I love to start off with a joke. I love to start off with a humorous story, a funny quotation. Really what I want to do is I want to get you laughing a little lighthearted in order you can settle in and then your mind can begin to, to kind of absorb what we're going to go over and you'll stay connected. And uh, I love to do that, but here's what I need you to understand this morning. There's nothing funny about the devil, Right? As a matter of fact, this past week as I was preparing and really looking over my message and getting ready for this morning, I really felt the Lord telling me and impressing upon me that I should not do that. I, I don't need to make fun this morning. I don't need to uh, tell the jokes and everything this morning and have everybody laughing because that's what the devil would want me to do, right? Uh, the devil wants you to think it's funny. You know, he's not a danger. He's not a threat to my family. Uh, he's just kind of funny. He's, he's the little dude on, on top of Fred Flintstone's shoulder, right? He's the guy in the red leotard with the pointy tail and the pitchfork and the horns who walks around poking folks in the backside when they've been over. Uh, he's Flip Wilson's sidekick. How many of y'all even know who Flip Wilson is? Can I see your hand? Yeah, all the old folks. Uh, and, and so, but that's not what we need to do this morning. Uh, that We don't need to do that today. All of that thing right there is a lie. There is nothing funny about the devil. And so if you're looking for a laugh this morning, you're probably not going to find anything funny in this morning's message. What we're going to do is we're going to take a very serious, somber, uh, scriptural, detailed look at what the Bible has to say about Satan, the perverted angel. Look there in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse number 10. If you have found your way there, say, uh-huh. The Bible says, finally, my brethren, by, by the way, time out. You know what it, you know what a preacher, Paul's a preacher, right? Paul's a preacher. You know what it means when a preacher says, finally, nothing. A lot of times people think, well, that means you're going to be done. No, it just means you're getting your breath, right? And he says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand. 
Here in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul is dealing with the subject of spiritual warfare, the spiritual battle that every single believer is engaged. Now, the sad fact of the matter is, is that far too many Christians today don't even realize that there's a battle going on. They don't realize that there's a fight taking place. They know nothing about what Paul is talking about here, about spiritual warfare. They think that the Christian life is a playground when in reality it is a battleground. Uh, they're asleep in the barracks when they ought to be fighting out on the field. They think the Christian life is a waltz when in reality it is a war. And so the Bible teaches that as believers and really anybody, we are involved in a battle and it is a real battle. It is a raging battle. It is a fierce battle. It is a deadly battle. And it is a battle against Satan and the forces of hell. And here's what I want you to do this morning. I want you to get your Bibles out because look, if you can go hear a preacher preach and you do not need your Bible, you're in the wrong place, right? So get your Bible out this morning. Get your notebook out. Get your pen and paper out this morning. Take some really good notes today. Let me talk to you about what you need to understand about your opponent, his, his, his operation, all those. Let me talk to you about the devil, the demons, and how to overcome him today. Because you say, well, Pastor, you know what? I really don't need this this morning. Well, you may not need it today, but you might need it tomorrow. And if you don't need it tomorrow, you're going to need it one day. And so take some good notes. Write a few things down this morning. My pastor, Adrian Rogers, always said that the weakest ink is better than the best memory. Uh, write a few things down this morning, and these are going to be helpful to you uh, today. Number one. Let's spend a few moments talking about the devil, the fact that the devil is our opponent. Look what Paul says in verse number 11. Paul says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, I'm going to make a statement real quickly here that I really want you to understand. And I want you to grab this, and I want you to kind of, kind of tuck this back there. You, you need to understand that your enemy is the devil. Do you understand that? Your enemy is the devil. If you don't learn anything else from this morning's message, you need to understand that reality. Your enemy is the devil. You do not fight against flesh and blood. People are not your problem. You don't fight against flesh and blood. You're fighting against the devil himself. The devil is your enemy. And I'll just tell you, it was a great day in my life when I finally realized that Satan is the one who comes against me uh, in order to bring defeat into my life spiritually. It was a great day in my life when I realized that people are not my problem. I don't fight against my neighbor. I don't, I don't fight against that person I work with. I don't, I don't fight. I don't fight against people. I fight against the one who is is behind them and that is none other than the devil himself because here's the thing if the devil can get us into fights if he can get us into spiritual fights fist fights and rolling around there in the dirt and slugging it out you know what it ultimately does it ultimately drags the name of Jesus down there in the dirt with us and so what I'm trying to get you to understand this morning is this reality that you need to recognize that anything that comes against you, anything that comes against your life, your children, your family, your home, this church, ultimately comes from Satan himself. That is the thing you need to grab a hold of today, that your problem, your battle is not against any person. Your battle is against Satan, and you need to stand against him and resist him. By the way, that's Bible, right? 
James 4, verse 7, Therefore submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Say resist. Yeah, you're supposed to resist the devil, and if you do, he will flee from you. The Bible says that we are to resist him, and we're to stand against the wiles of the devil. You say, the what? The wiles. Like wily coyote? No, the wiles. What does the word wild mean? Well, the word wiles in the Greek means the methods, the strategies. We're to stand against the modus operandi, the M.O. of Satan. He has planned it. He is trying to deceive us. We're supposed to stand against his procedures. 2 Corinthians 2.11, Paul tells us that we shouldn't be ignorant of the devil or his devices. 2 Timothy 2.26, Paul talks about the snares and the traps of the devil. And so we need to understand something of his method, something of his strategy. And so you've got your Bibles open there real quickly this morning. Let me give you the threefold strategy that Satan uses to come against you, come against your home, come against your marriage, come against your children, come against uh, your, where you work. Let me give you the threefold strategy that Satan uses to come against you. Here, here's what he does. The first thing that he will attack is the devil will attack you mentally. Why? Because he wants to control your mind. He wants to control the way that you think. And the way that he does this is by deceit, by error. Jesus said over in John 17, 17, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. In other words, the word of God is truth. Amen? Amen. And how does God want to control you? God wants to control you by getting the word of God, the truth of the word of God, into your mind so you're thinking what you ought to think because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he, right? And so, so he wants you to saturate your mind with the Word of God so that he can control you. Well, on the other hand, the devil wants to control you by your mind. How? By getting you to believe a lie. By getting you to believe error. By getting you to believe something that's not true by deceit. Jesus said in John 8, 44, you are, uh, by the way, somebody told me years ago, years ago, they said, preacher, I just wish you'd preach more like Jesus. Really? Have you ever heard what Jesus said? Let's take this one. So Jesus is here in John 8, 44, and listen to what he said. Jesus says, you are of your father the devil. I have never said in any sermon, your daddy's the devil. Right? How many of y'all want me to preach more like Jesus? Can I see your hand, right? He says, you are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. And so what Jesus is saying here is that Satan is going to come against you with a lie. He's going to try to fill your mind with deceit and error. You say, how is he going to do that? Through his followers. Through his followers. You do realize that the devil has his followers, right? The devil has followers who write books. The devil has followers who make movies. The devil has followers who write songs. The devil has followers who teach in the classrooms. The, he has followers that even come to church. He has followers that are involved in every form of media and meeting conceivable today. And so he's going to come against you, and when he does, he's going to try to destroy your life by taking control of your mind. Amen. Look right here. Don't ever forget this. 
you need to be very careful what you allow into your mind. Because whatever you allow into your mind will ultimately control you. That's why I'm real careful. That's why I'm real careful about what I watch, what I read, what I listen to. Um, I used to be one of those guys, I love scary movies, right? I don't watch them no more. I don't watch them anymore, better grammar. I don't watch them anymore, right? You got to be careful about what movies you watch, where you go, what you do, what you read, what you listen to. Don't let the devil fill your mind with his lies. Don't let the devil get a foothold in your home. Don't let the devil loosen the lives of your family or your children. Make sure that you fill your mind, your home, your family, and your children with the truth of the Word of God. So let me give you a passage of Scripture. You need to write this down somewhere. And really what you need to do is you need to memorize it. Now, I turned 50 a couple of weeks ago, memorizing not nearly as easy as it used to be, right? And I even tried Nareva. It don't work. But I want you to write this down somewhere. Put it on a card. Put it on your dash. Put it on your mirror. Put it in your Bible. I need you to write this passage down, and it's Philippians 4, 7 through 8. Because in Philippians 4, 7 through 8, Paul's writing there, and Paul says, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will do what? Will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. You need to put that in your mind so that whenever the devil comes against you and tries to put that thought into your mind, that lie, that error, that deceit, you will just remember what God says you ought to be thinking about and you ought to be thinking about things that are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, and of good report. And you just begin to fill your mind and meditate on the truth of the Word of God. Why? Because the very first way the devil comes at you is mentally. But then the second step is morally. He tries to control your mind, and then he's going to do everything that he can to steal your heart. He's going to do his dirty, dead-level best, watch this, to make you hate the things you ought to love and love the things that you ought to hate. He's going to try to steal from your heart a love for the Lord Jesus and then fill your heart with a love for things that are wicked and evil and dirty and sinful and all those sorts of things. And so he attacks you first mentally and then he moves to morally and then lastly he tries to attack you motivationally. 2 Timothy 2.26, Paul says, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil having been taken captive by him to do his will. Satan's going to try to control your will. So we've, we've said for decades, who was it, Bill Bright? God has a wonderful plan for your life, right? Well, not only does God have a wonderful plan for your life, the devil has a horrible plan for your life. 
God has a plan for your life. The devil has a plan for your life. And what does he want to do? He wants to seek to control your mind and destroy your life. And so the very first thing that you need to understand this morning is the devil is your opponent. Number two, the demons are his operatives. If you remember back in Isaiah, are y'all still there this morning? Remember back in Isaiah, Lucifer rose up against God, said, I will, be, I will be like the Most High. He rebelled against God. A third of the angels followed him. God booted them all out of, out of heaven, cast them down to earth where they became fallen angels or the old dirty demons that we know today, filthy, dirty, depraved demons. And just as we've seen over the last several weeks that God has his angels, his messengers, to carry out his work, the Bible also teaches that Satan has his fallen angels, demons, to carry out his work and to do the things that he wants to do. Now, it's the same way it is with angels. Whenever you begin to talk about demons, you've got people on both sides. You've got people in two ditches. On the one side are those folks who go to seed on demons and demonism. I mean, a demon is behind every bush, a demon's underneath every rock. Everything that goes bad in their life, a demon did it. You have a flat tire, a demon did it. Have a bad hair day, a demon did it. Your car stops, a demon did it. You burn the supper, a demon did it. And I'll just say this this morning, I think when we get to that point, we're off the reservation, we're outside what the Word of God teaches, Right? So everything that comes against us is not necessarily of the devil. You say, well, how do you know that? Because the Bible teaches we actually have three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so sometimes what happens in our life is just a result of the fact that we have an old sinful, lustful nature. Sometimes we do things we're not supposed to do, and we get the consequences of it, right? Other times the things that go wrong in our life are because we live in a world where there is a system set up against the things of God, the people of God, and even against God himself. And so not everything that goes wrong in your life is as a result of a demon. There are those who go to seed on demonism, and then on the other side, there are those who dismiss demons. They belittle, they belittle what the Bible teaches. They ignore the reality of our adversary and his emissaries, demons. And, and don't you look right here. Demons are real. Amen. Demons are wicked, and demons are very evil. They exist just as much as angels exist. And here in Ephesians chapter 6, I, I believe that Paul gives us what, what I call the fourfold operation of the demonic. If you want to know how demons work and operate, here's what Paul says. Just begin to follow down Ephesians 6. In Ephesians 6, Paul says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, watch this, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. I believe in that one verse we find the fourfold operation of the demonic, and here's how it fleshes out, here's how it works. First of all, you have Paul talking about Satan's principled ones. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities. I believe the word principalities is just referring to the principal ones of the devil. These are the devil's right-hand demons. These are the ones that he gets to do his work. These are the ones he calls upon to do his dirty deeds. And by the way, you need to understand, the devil's not God. Do you understand that? The devil's not God. The devil is not all-knowing. He's not 
omnipresent. He is not omnipotent. He doesn't have all power. He's not everywhere at all times. He doesn't, he, he doesn't know everything. You say, well, then how in the world does he do all the destruction that he does? Well, he does it through his demons. He does it through his principal ones. Satan's power and his knowledge and his influence is magnified and maximized because he has this army of demons to do his bidding. And the very first ones that he mentions here are these principled ones. But then number two, you've got his powerful ones. He says against principalities, against powers. And I think he's talking here about those demons who influence kingdoms and nations of the world. The Bible refers to Satan, right? as the God of this age or the God of this world. And I believe the Bible teaches that the devil and his demons, they have the ability to influence the minds of men and women and those who lead the nations of this world. You're, you're there in Ephesians 6. Just hold your finger there. You look up on the screen, Daniel chapter 10. Daniel 10, 10, just, just get the picture here. So Daniel is writing and Daniel says, Suddenly a hand touched me. By, by the way, if you're praying and somebody all of a sudden you don't know is there puts their hand on your shoulder, what are you going to do? I'm going to jump and scream like a little girl, amen? And he says, suddenly a hand touched me which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. Now watch this. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. Do y'all catch what's going on here? And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. He mentions Michael, right? Remember Michael from a couple of weeks ago? Michael is the archangel. Michael is the angel who has specific responsibility of overseeing and watching and protecting the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. But here the Bible specifically speaks of, in Daniel 10, the prince of Persia. And I believe what Daniel is talking about here is the fact that there is a demonic personality or power, uh, one who had the ability to influence what was taking place in that nation. You say, well, I don't know that I believe that. Well, look right here. You have every right to be wrong. Because if you'll just keep reading down in verse number 20, notice what he goes on to say. Then he said, so he's quoting Michael, the archangel. Then he said, do you know why I have come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I have gone forth, indeed the prince of Greece will come. I believe that it's possible, the Bible teaches that it's possible, that there are demons who influence the different nations of this world. And if you don't believe that again, you have every right to be wrong. But how do you explain what takes place in the countries around this world? How do you explain what's happening in Afghanistan, in Libya, in Syria, China, Ukraine, Russia, and even the United States apart from the demonic? 
How do you explain what takes place in those world, in those countries today? I don't think that you can. If the Bible teaches that there are powerful ones who can influence the movement and activity of nations. And so there are the principled ones, there are the powerful ones, and then there are the persuasive ones. Go back and look in Ephesians 6. He goes on to say, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. So there are those demons that come and they persuade the minds of men. And you didn't come for this this morning, but it's free. I'll just give it to you today right now. I believe that a lot of our culture and a lot of our society today is under the influence of the demonic. Amen. I believe that a lot of what we see today, I, I believe that most of the entertainment world is influenced by demonic powers. The music that is played, the movies that are made, the TV shows that are aired, uh, I believe that so much of what is put out in the entertainment world is under the direct influence of the devil, who, by the way, the Bible says is the prince of the power of the air. Right? I'll take it a step further since you're interested. I believe that a lot of what is taught in the educational system today is influenced by demonic powers. Now, we've got some great godly Christian teachers that go here. One of our ladies came in this morning, so excited. School's about to start back. My wife taught public and private school for a decade. I love and I thank God for our teachers. But you know what I'm talking about from the top down. That's why we see all the things that we're seeing take place in our schools today. When, when our schools teach our children that they came from monkeys, when our schools teach our children that everything came about as a result of a big bang, when our schools teach that there is no God, when our schools teach that a baby's a choice, not a life, when our schools teach that, that it's normal for Johnny to have two daddies or Mary to have two mamas, when it's normal, our schools teach our children that it's normal and think that you can actually, boys can become girls and girls can become boys and people can become pets. You can't explain that any other way than apart from the demonic. And by the way, since I'm in the neighborhood, I'll just add that I believe that a lot of the religions of the world today are influenced by the demonic. Right? Remember what Paul said? Paul, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10 that the religions of the Gentiles are demonic. I believe that Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, atheism, secularism, every other ism that you want to think of that need to become wasms, they're influenced by the demonic. Years ago when I was a little boy, my daddy first met a smile and so in the balcony today we've had phil jenkins i grew up four houses up from phil and uh, phil and his family ran sound there at first baptist milan and uh, i love the jenkins and i love phil and mark and the family and uh, there at first baptist milan back in the 80s my dad made a connection with a guy named dr p n curian he was the head of the all india prayer fellowship he had been the minister of education in the entire nation of india which by the way is the most populous nation in the world his family was attacked before their stand for christ abused tortured my dad was over there on one of the trips and they were taking a walk down a street and they came upon this Hindu parade. And um, you had all the things that you would normally think of in a, in a parade. 
But then dad said at the end of that parade, they're what he called these strong men, these big men, these great big old Goliath-looking dudes. And they had like 13, 14-year-old boys with a spear pushed through their mouth, and they were holding them up off the ground, and those boys were just shaking and wiggling like a snake all over the place, which kind of freaked my dad out. By the way, it freaked me out, right? If I'm going that way, I'm going that way at this point. And my dad looked at Dr. Curie, and he said, what in the world is that? And what Dr. Curian explained was is that basically these young boys go into those Hindu temples. They begin to pray and beg the devil to come into them. They become demon-possessed, and that's why you see them there wiggling on that, on that spear put through their mouth. Because he has his principal ones, he has his powerful ones, he has his persuasive ones, and then he has his permissive ones. Verse 12 against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. I'm, I believe that there are demons that attack the lives of individuals. Let, let me give you real quickly. We've got to hurry up. There, there are two verses of Scripture that I want you to kind of mark. There, there's a word in each one, and you'll see which one I'm talking about in a minute. But the first verse is found in Acts 10.38. Notice what, how, what Luke records. He says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him, oppressed. Underline the word oppressed. And then you go back to Matthew 4, verse 24. The Bible talks about Jesus, the fact that his fame went out through all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed. I don't have time this morning to get into too much of this and flesh it all out, but let me just kind of put it in as concise as a way that I possibly can. I believe that it's possible for lost people, those that don't know Jesus Christ, those who are not saved, to be possessed by demons. You say, well, I just don't know that I believe that. Well, then you've got a problem with Scripture. I just read you one. I believe that it is possible for those folks, those of you perhaps this morning that don't know Jesus Christ, you're not saved. I believe that it is possible to be possessed, controlled, dominated by demons. You say, well, how does that happen? I don't know. It may be that you willingly, knowingly open yourself up to it by dabbling in the occult and witchcraft and those sorts of things. It might be that those movies that you watch, which I don't allow in my family anymore, I, we don't let them in our home. We don't, I don't want them having any access to my home or my family. But you gave it an opening and they come in and then they take control of your life. Amen. Growing up in Milan, Tennessee, we had a palm reader outside of town like the one over on Bel Air. And um, Dr. J. Harold Smith was preaching there toward the end of his life in ministry. And uh, Dr. Smith and Dad, Dr. Smith wanted to go talk to that palm reader and see if he could win her to Jesus. And so they went there and talked and talked and talked and talked. And, she's, and finally, Dr. Smith looked at my dad. He said, Preacher, leave the woman alone. She's full of demons. I believe the Bible teaches it is possible, probable then, that lost folks can be possessed by demons. But on the other hand, I believe the Bible teaches that it is very likely that Christians can be oppressed by demons. It's a difference, right? One has complete control, the other one's just bothering you. And the demons will come against you to oppress you, to wear you out, to bother you, to cause you, to cause you problems. 
but they cannot possess you. Look right here. There's no way that the Holy Spirit and an unclean spirit can inhabit the same life at the same time. So I don't believe that, that Christians can be demon-possessed, but I do believe the Bible teaches that Christians can be demon-oppressed. They can bother you. Had a lady years ago, and she, she, she came to me and she said, Preacher, I'm afraid I'm possessed with demons. And I said, well, are you a Christian? She said, yes. I said, then you can't be possessed. You can be oppressed. They can bother you. They can cause you problems. But thank God, if you are saved, greater is he who is in you than he who's in the world. That's why, Christian, if you are saved, you do not have to live under the oppression of the devil. If you're saved, you've been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, you've been baptized, sealed, and filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus is the Lord of your life, and no demon, no devil can occupy a life that belongs to God. So the devil's our opponent. The demons are his, how they operate. And then lastly, his defeat is our opportunity. Let me just give you two little things, we're done. We can defeat the evil one by claiming God's power. John, 1 John 4, 4, John says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Paul says in Colossians 2, 15, Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. And then Ephesians 1, 20 and 21. Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age which is to come. As believers, we can defeat the evil one by claiming God's power. And then lastly, we must choose God's provision. Peter says, I love it, Peter says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. And then back early in the sermon, James 4, 7, resist, therefore submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You say, all right, how's this flesh out? How's this work? So as we end this morning, if you want to put your Bible up, look right here. Real practical. And it's found in one of the best known stories of the Bible. Remember the story of David and Goliath? Right? David comes up against Goliath. He's got those five little stones and he got a slingshot. By the way, I've always wanted to have a slingshot like that. What about you? You'll put your eye out. But anyway. And if you go back and read that story, as they're down there in that valley, and what a picture. 
What a picture of the person of God or the people of God against the army of the enemy. And you've got little bitty old David, what, 14 years old, little red-headed, freckle-faced boy, standing up against a nine-foot giant. And if you were a betting Baptist, which you shouldn't be, by the way, if you were putting odds, you're going to put odds on Goliath, right? And he said, I'm going to feed you to the birds. And little old David looks big old Goliath in the eye and he says, You come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Amen. How do you fight the evil one? You don't fight in your own power, you'll get smushed. You fight in God's power under the banner of King Jesus, knowing you have the armies of the Lord of Israel behind you. Amen. You meditate on Scripture. You memorize Scripture. You claim Scripture. You claim the promises of God. And then you choose His provision. And that's how you pray over your family. That's how you pray over your marriage. That's how you pray over your children. That's how you pray over your home. That's how you pray over your car, right? That's how you pray over every area of your life. And you get up in the morning and you put on the whole armor of God. And you resist the devil. And he's got to flee from you.